Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Talks with the Gratitude Chick. I am your host, Luanza, aka the Gratitude Chick. Don't forget to follow me on all of my social media platforms at the Gratitude Chick for Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok, and Gratitude underscore Chick for Twitter. Welcome back to another episode of your reading corner with the Gratitude Chick. So today we are back into um, the power of awareness. We are starting with chapter seven. And um, although the chapters are small and the book is pretty short, it actually has 27 chapters, guys. So I definitely misread Um, how short the book was because like I said it's part of the complete reader that I have so it doesn't really give me you know page one to whatever I'm on page actually 341 of the complete reader so um, we have still a couple more episodes of this book probably maybe three or four more episodes so um, sit back and relax (laughs) we're still you know reading this book Okay, so we left off on um, chapter six, and we are going to start chapter seven. It is called Attitude. Experiments recently conducted by Merrill Lawrence of Princeton and Adelbert Ames of Dartmouth in the latter's psychological laboratory at Hanover, New Hampshire, prove that what you see when you look at something depends not so much on what is there as on the assumption you make when you look. Since what we believe to be the real physical world is actually only an assumptive world, it is not surprising that these experiments prove that what appears to be solid reality is actually the result of expectations or assumptions. Your assumptions determine not only what you see, but also what you do, for they govern all your conscious and subconscious movements toward the fulfillment of themselves. Over a century ago, this truth was stated by Emerson as follows. As the world was plastic and fluid in the hands of God, so it is ever to so much of his attributes as we bring to it. To ignorance and sin, it is flint. They adapt themselves to it as they may, but in proportion as a man as anything in him divine. The firmament flows before him and takes his signet and form. Your assumption is the hand of God molding the firmament into the image of that which you assume. The assumption of the wish fulfilled is the high tide which lifts you easily off the bar of the senses where you have so long lain stranded. It lifts the mind into prophecy in the full right sense of the word. And if you have that controlled imagination and absorbed attention, which it is possible to attain, you may be sure that all your assumption implies will come to pass. When William Blake wrote, what seems to be is to those to whom it seems to be, he was only repeating the eternal truth there is nothing unclean of itself, but to him that esteemeth 
anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. Romans 14, 14. Because there is nothing unclean of itself or clean of itself, you should assume the best and think only of that which is lovely and of good report. It is not superior insight, but ignorance of this law of assumption. If you read into the greatness of men some littleness with which you may be familiar, or into some situation or circumstance, an unfavorable conviction. Your particular relationship to another influences your assumption with respect to that other and makes you see in him that which you do see. If you can change your opinion of another, then what you now believe of him cannot be absolutely true, but it is only relatively true. So what I think he's saying here is that a person is to you what you believe he is to you. And that goes back again to the statement that I have on the podcast in the description box. What you believe to be true is true for you in your reality. So if you believe a person is one way and that is all that you believe, you will never believe or you will never see them any other way than the way that you believe that they are. If you believe that this man is a deadbeat father, no matter what he does, he will always be a deadbeat. If you believe he is a cheater, no matter what he does, there's nothing he can do to make up for the fact that you have stamped him as a cheater and you believe that that is what he is. The following is an actual case history illustrating how the law of assumption works. One day, a costume designer described to me her difficulties in working with a prominent theatrical producer. She was convinced that he unjustly criticized and rejected her best work and that often he was deliberately rude and unfair to her. Upon hearing her story, I explained that if she found the other rude and unfair, it was a sure sign that she herself was wanting and that it was not the producer but herself that was in need of a new attitude. I told her that the power of this law of assumption and its practical application could be discovered only through experience and that only by assuming that the situation was already what she wanted it to be could she prove that she could bring about the change desired. Her employer was merely bearing witness telling her by his behavior what her concept of him was. I suggested that it was quite probable that she was carrying on conversations with him in her mind, which were filled with criticism and recriminations. There was no doubt but that she was mentally arguing arguing with the producer for others only echoed that which we whisper to them in secret. I asked her if it was not true that she talked to him mentally, and if so, what those conversations were like. She confessed that every morning on her way to the theater, she told him just what she thought of him in a way that she would never have dared address him in person. The intensity and force of her mental arguments with him automatically established his behavior towards her. And I know this to be a certain thing. I have done this. Um, in working in corporate America, I have done this to many a boss, had terrible conversations in my mind with him, cussed them out, 
kicked them in the stomach, <laughs> you know, things like this. And it was no wonder our relationship was terrible because I made these people up in my mind to be terrible. So one of the ways to combat this, um, especially by, you know, using gratitude is to be grateful for that person. Find like five things that you are grateful for of that for that person and concentrate on those five things throughout the day and that relationship will change okay she began to realize that all of us carry on mental conversations but unfortunately on most occasions these conversations are argumentative that we have only to observe the passerby on the street to prove this assertion that so many people are mentally engrossed in conversation and a few appear to be happy about it, but the very intensity of their feeling must lead them quickly to the unpleasant incident they themselves have mentally created and therefore must now encounter. How many times have we, especially especially as women, recounted arguments with our significant other? recounted arguments with parents with friends and it because it's feelings involved the feelings get it more intense just anger and, and hostility and we just replay it over and over and over and over and over again in our minds and those relationships don't get better until we change how we see those people that is what this is saying That is what this is saying. When she realized what she had been doing, she agreed to to change her attitude and to live this law faithfully by assuming that her job was highly satisfactory and her relationship with the producer was a very happy one. To do this, she agreed that before going to sleep at night, on her way to work, and at other intervals during the day, she would imagine that he had congratulated her on her fine designs and that she, in turn, had thanked him for his praise and kindness. To her great delight, she soon discovered for herself that her own attitude was the cause of all that befell her. The behavior of her employer miraculously reversed itself. His attitude echoing as it had always done, that which she had assumed now reflected her changed concept of him. So this is something, especially if you're working in corporate America and you have a coworker that's rude, that just pisses you off all day. And when you go home at night, you, you know, you think about the coworker as you're driving, you're pissed off, you call your friends or it could be your coworker, your boss. It could be, you know, your husband, your wife, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your child, you know, your just regular friend, your mother, any of these things. And one of the things that he said is that she realized that it was her. And this is something that's going to be hard for a lot of people to swallow. It's you. It's not them. It's you. And the reason why I say it's you is because you are in control of your reactions and your actions to everything. So when you are having these kind of situations, check yourself first. Can't check them. They have to check them. Check you. And that's real talk. What she did was by the power of her imagination. Her persistent assumption influenced his behavior and determined his attitude toward her. 
With the passport of desire on the wings of a controlled imagination, she traveled into the future of her own predetermined experience. Thus we see it is not facts, but that which we create in our imagination, which shapes our lives. For most of the conflicts of the day are due to the want of a little imagination to cast the beam out of our own eye. It is the exact and literal-minded who live in a fictitious world. As this designer, by her controlled imagination, started the subtle change in her employer's mind, so can we, by the control of our own imagination and wisely directed feeling, solve our problems. By the intensity of her imagination and feeling, the designer cast a kind of enchantment on her producer's mind and caused him to think that his generous praise originated with him. Often our most elaborate and original thoughts are determined by another. We should never be certain that it was not some woman treading in the wine press who began that subtle change in men's mind, or that the passion did not begin in the mind of some shepherd boy lighting up his eye for a moment before it ran upon it. Sway. William Butler Yeats. That was a good chapter. Okay, so we're going to keep going to chapter 8. And it's called Renunciation. There is no coal of character so dead that it will not glow in flame, but slightly turned. Resist not evil. Whosoever shall smite thee on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. There is a great difference between resisting evil and renouncing it. When you resist evil, you give it your attention. You continue to make it real. When you renounce evil, you take your attention from it and give your attention to what you want. Now is the time to to control your imagination and give beauty for ashes, joy for mourning, praise for the spirit of heaviness that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. And um, another way to say this is don't resist, persist. Persist in your imagination. Persist in whatever it is that you want. You know, don't put any energy into resisting a thing. Persist in something else. Just focus your focus. That's it. You give beauty for ashes when you concentrate your attention on things as you would like them to be rather than on things as they are. You give joy for mourning when you maintain a joyous attitude regardless of unfavorable circumstances. You give praise for the spirit of heaviness when you maintain a confident attitude instead of succumbing to despondency. In this quotation... The Bible uses the word tree as a synonym for man. You become a tree of righteousness when the above mental states are a permanent part of your consciousness. You are a planting of the Lord when all your thoughts are true thoughts. He is I am as described in chapter one. I am is glorified when your highest concept of yourself is manifested. When you have discovered your own controlled imagination, to be your savior, your attitude will be completely altered without any diminution of religious feeling and you will stay of your controlled imagination. Behold this vine, 
I found it a wild tree whose wanton strength has swollen into irregular twigs. But I pruned that plant and it grew temperate in its vain expense of useless leaves and nodded, as you see, into this clean, full clusters to repay the hand that wisely wounded it. By vine is meant your imagination, which in its uncontrolled state expends its energy in useless or destructive thoughts and feelings. But you, just as the vine is pruned by cutting away its useless branches and roots, prune your imagination by withdrawing your attention from all unlovely and destructive ideas and concentrating on the ideal you wish to attain. So it's it really is just basically telling us to refocus our focus on that which is for our betterment the things that we want in life focus our attention there and persist that is what it's telling telling us the happier more noble life you will experience will be the result of wisely pruning your own imagination yes be pruned of all unlovely thoughts and feelings that you may think truly and thy thoughts shall the world's famine feed Speak truly, and each word of thine shall be a fruitful seed. Live truly, and thy life shall be a great and noble creed. Okay, so that was chapter 8. Chapter 9, preparing your place. And all mine are thine, and thine are mine. John 17, 10. Thrust in the sickle and reap, for the time is come for thee to reap for the harvest of the earth is ripe. Revelation 14:15. All is yours. Do not go seeking for that which you are. Appropriate it, claim it, assume it. Everything depends upon your concept of yourself. That which you do not claim as true of yourself cannot be realized by you. The promise is, whosoever hath to him it shall be given, and he shall have more abundance. But whosoever hath not from him shall be taken away even that which he seemeth to have. Hold fast in your imagination to all that is lovely and of good report. For the lovely and the good are essential in your life if it is to be worthwhile. Assume it. You do this by imagining that you are already that which you want to be and to already have what you want to have. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Be still and know that you are which you desire to be, and you will never have to search for it. In spite of your appearance of freedom of action, you obey as everything else does, the law of assumption. Whatever you may think of the question of free will, the truth is your experiences throughout your life are determined by your assumptions, whether conscious or unconscious. An assumption builds a bridge of incidents that lead inevitably to the fulfillment of itself. Man believes the future to be the natural development of the past, but the law of assumption clearly shows that this is not the case. Your assumption places you psychologically where you are not physically. Then your senses pull you back from where you were psychologically to where you are physically. It is these psychological forward motions that produce your physical forward motions in time. Precognition permeates all the scriptures of the world. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. 
And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And now I have told you before it come to pass, that when it is come to pass, you might believe. John 14, 2, 3, and 29. The I in this quotation is your imagination, which goes into the future into one of the many mansions. Mansion is the state desired. Telling of an event before it occurs physically is simply feeling yourself into the state desired until it has the tone of reality. You go and prepare a place for yourself by imagining yourself into the feeling of your wish fulfilled. Now, I get what he's trying to do here um, by using that verse to kind of describe the feeling of the wish fulfilled. And he did it well. And there's really nothing I have to say about this except... Um, the verse really is talking about God, about Jesus going to prepare heaven for us. That's what it's really talking about. But um, he used it artfully to describe the wish fulfilled. So I just wanted to put that caveat in there. Um, again, for those who are Christians. Then you speed from the state of the wish fulfilled where you have not been physically back to where you were physically a moment ago. Then, with an irresistible forward movement, you must forward across a series of events to the physical realization of your wish. That where you have been in imagination, there you will be in the flesh also. Until the place from whence the rivers come, thither they return again. Ecclesiastes 1.7 And that was chapter 9. I told you guys these, these chapters are very long. I mean, excuse me, very short. So we're going to just keep going, keep going, keep going. We're going to go to chapter 10 because we're only at 21 minutes. Chapter 10. It's called Creation. I am God declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things that are not yet done. Isaiah 46, 9 and 10. Creation is finished. Creativeness is only a deeper receptiveness for the entire contents of all time and all space, while experienced in a time sequence actually coexists in an infinite and eternal now. In other words, all that you ever have been or ever will be, in fact, all that mankind ever was or ever will be, exists now. This is what is meant by creation and the statement that creation is finished means nothing is ever to be created. It is only to be manifested. What is called creativeness is only becoming aware of what already is. You simply become aware of increasing proportions or increasing portions of that which already exists. So what I think he is saying here is that we all know creation is done. Nothing else is going to be created. Everything that we want in life already exists. It is a matter of moving it from one form to another. That's what he's saying. Um, Energy is neither created nor destroyed. Energy just moves. It moves through us. It's already here. It just moves from one form to another. So everything that's in this world is made up of energy. So if what you want already exists, it is just a matter of getting to the frequency of what you want. That's it. That's why it is, it is, you know, paramount that you keep your vibes high. 
and it's one one of the reasons why I don't record when my vibes are low and my vibes only get low if I'm sick you know so if I don't feel well then my vibes are low so I don't record during those times because I believe that I can pass bad vibes to you so when my vibes are high I'm recording and then not only am I recording when my vibes are high but my vibes get higher still because recording gives me high vibes which is why I love to record. I don't care if it's five people a day that listen to my podcast. I get high vibes from recording. So it would behoove me to continue to record for my own sake, not just for the sake of people that listen. The fact that you can never be anything that you are not already or experience anything not already existing existing explains the experience of having an acute feeling of having heard before what is being said or having met before the person being met for the first time or having seen before a place or thing being seen for the first time. The whole of creation exists in you and it is your destiny to become increasingly aware of its infinite wonders and to experience every greater and grander portion of it. If creation is finished and all events are taking place now, the question that springs naturally to the mind is, what determines your time track? That is, what determines the events which you encounter? And the answer is your concept of yourself. Concepts determine the route that attention follows. Here is a good test to prove this fact. Assume the feeling of your wish fulfilled and observe the route that your attention follows. You will observe that as long as you remain faithful to your assumption, so long will your attention be confronted with images clearly related to that assumption. For example, if you assume that you have a wonderful business, you will notice how in your imagination your attention is focused on incident after incident relating to that assumption. Friends congratulate you, tell you how lucky you are, Others are envious and critical. From there, your attention goes to larger offices, bigger bank balances, and many other similarly related events. Persistence in this assumption will result in actually experiencing, in fact, that which you assumed. Persistence is key, guys. Persistence is key. The same is true regarding any concept. If your concept of yourself is that you are a failure, you would encounter in your imagination a whole series of incidents in conformance to that concept. In my 20s, my concept of myself was, woe is me. I said it, I believed it, I felt it, I reaffirmed it often. And my 20s were my worst decade because I found that one tiny scripture and I latched onto it and said, look at my life. I am the woe. Woe is me. And I believed that wholeheartedly. And then I was pissed and angry at God because that which I determined for myself to be is what came true. So this is why I say persist in good things for yourself, for your betterment. Because guess what? 
it works either way for your betterment or for your detriment. And as powerful as a manifester as I am, it worked very well for my detriment. Very well. Thus, it is clearly seen how you, by your concept of yourself, determine your present. That is the particular portion of creation which you now experience and your future that is the particular portion of creation which you will experience. And that was chapter 10. That's That was literally like a page and a half. What is happening here? So I'm just going to keep going because we're only at 28 minutes, but this will be the last chapter. Chapter 11, Interference. You are free to choose the concept you will accept of yourself. Therefore, you possess the power of intervention, the power which enables you to alter the course of your future. The process of rising from your present concept to a higher concept of yourself is the means of all true progress. The higher concept is waiting for you to incarnate it into the world of experience. Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us unto him be glory. Ephesians 3.20 Him that is able to do more than you can ask or think is your imagination. I'm going to just insert that, that the him is God. So I'm just going to put that in there. And the power that worketh in us is your attention. The power that works within us is God, but, you know, I disagree with him there. Understanding imagination to be him that is able to do all that you ask and attention to be the power by which you create your world, you can now build your ideal world. Now, for me as a Christian, the attention, um, what he's saying is, is he's describing it as your imagination and attention. I believe that to be God, and I believe that he has given us the power to to use our imagination and to focus our attention and be persistent, yes, but do not, I'm not a person who will ever take God out of the concept of creating. We are co-creators of life, Um, so you may not believe that. If you're not a Christian, I get it. Believe how you will or may, but this is me. This is how I believe, so I just wanted to make that apparent. You know, I will not always agree with these people and I will always state why I don't agree. But me not agreeing with a specific concept does not mean that the entire concept or the entire book is false. So I do want to state that part. Imagine yourself to be the ideal you dream of and desire. Remain attentive to this imagined state and as fast as you completely feel that you are already this ideal, it will manifest itself as reality in your world. I agree with this. He was in the world and the world was made by him and the world knew him not. This was this is about Jesus. So, The mystery hid from the ages, Christ in you, the hope of glory. The he in the first of these quotations is your imaginations. Again, it's the whole verse is talking about Jesus. As previously explained, there is only one substance. This substance is consciousness. It is your imagination which forms this substance into concepts, which concepts are then manifested as conditions, circumstances, and physical objects. Thus, imagination made your world. This supreme truth with 
but few exceptions man is not conscious of. And again, I don't agree with that. Um, as a Christian, God is the umbrella. I know I would say God is the sky. And it, you have to see in my mind what I'm saying. Gratitude is the umbrella under which everything falls up under. But God is the sky. He is the He is the firmament. He is the heavens. He is, you know, everything else. So that is how I believe. Um, but I do believe that gratitude is the umbrella under which everything else comes underneath except God. The mystery Christ in you referred to in the second quotation is your imagination by which your world is molded. The hope of glory is your awareness of the ability to rise perpetually to higher levels. Again, we already know how I feel about this, so I'm not going to state it again. Christ is not to be found in history nor in external forms. False. You find Christ only when you become aware of the fact that your imagination is the only redemptive power. False. When this is discovered, the towers of dogma will have heard the trumpets of truth and like the walls of Jericho, crumble to dust. I do not believe and agree with this entire chapter. So I'm just going to put that out there right now. I disagree. Um, so we're going to stop there because we are already four chapters in, guys. And we'll pick this up next time. And again, I just want to say, um, when I'm reading these books, I am giving my own commentary on my perception of these books. So if I say that something is false or um, that I don't agree, it's literally, literally my opinion. You do not have to agree with my opinion. And that is why I, you know, telling you to go and read these books for yourself formulate your own opinion you know what I mean study and show yourself approved figure out what you believe and attach it to whatever it is you want for me when I practice gratitude I'm always going to attach my gratitude and my thanks and my praise and my prayer to God always it's just what it is I'm a Christian but I have I am I'm a Christian um that doesn't believe in organized religion I am going to go straight to God. I don't need a preacher, a priest, or pastor to connect me with God. I'm just going to go straight to him. So that is why. And, you know, organized religion is really just false. So um, that's, again, no offense to anyone, but no thanks. I'm not going to do organized religion. So that is off the topic. So I'm going to go ahead and close this out. Thank you guys so much for tuning in today to listen um, to your reading corner. I appreciate it. Don't forget to add gratitude as a daily practice in your life. I promise you your life will change once you add the daily practice of gratitude. You guys have a blessed day. Thank you for listening to another episode of Talks with the Gratitude Chick. I am your host, Luanza, aka the Gratitude Chick. Don't forget to subscribe and give my podcast five stars. If you have not already, join my Facebook group, Babes Who Manifest.